Hello and welcome to another episode of the Haskin Cast podcast. I am your host, Scott Haskin, and this week we are going through a journey of one of my albums. This one is called Entranced, and it was originally written and recorded uh, back in 2006, and I re-released it in 2013 with some new artwork done by my dear and wonderfully talented friend Kelly Kincart at OutsideTheBox.photo. Um, I had sent her the music and said, hey, I'm going to be re-releasing this album. So if you have some ideas of what you could do for the cover, let me know. And I think. I can't remember now, I'd have to look back at the dates, but I think this might have been the second or third one we worked. And I think we might have already done Mental Sauna at this point. Uh, but the first one was Kindred Spirits. And um, we uh, we talked about it. She said, uh, I've got something to show you. So I went over to her place and she showed me this picture of a moth that was uh, just, it appeared to be on on water and it was very cartoonish looking. And I thought, wow, that's really cool. How long did it take you to draw that? And she said, that's a photo, untouched. And uh, I, I thought it was absolutely brilliant. Um, it definitely looks very cartoonish to me. There was very little touch-up done on it. Um, this is pretty much the photo as she took it. Uh, really just absolutely stunning. And so I, I really liked that idea. And then a few months ago, maybe sometime around uh, after the lockdown in, in uh, March or whenever it was, uh, she said, uh, hey, I've got something to show you that you might really like. And she sent me this picture and I thought, this is it. This is the cover that I've been looking for to do a follow up to the Entranced album. I've been wanting to do it for a couple of years now. And, you know, there's so many other projects going on. It's kind of like, OK, this one and you grab it and you go for it and you finish it. And so uh, I thought, well, this is kind of the inspiration that I, I need to make this my next project. So uh, I'm working on Entranced 2. She's uh, got a beautiful artwork that's going to go with it. And uh, I've already got a couple songs done for the album and we'll be picking away at them uh, as I can. I can't promise uh, even a, a general idea of when I'll release it at this point because I'm only two songs in and I have just uh, taken on another uh, pretty big project that we're going to get to a little bit later on in the episode. But uh, I'm very, very excited about it. Um, things I'm, I'm sad about right now is just a couple of days ago, we lost Lee Kerslake, who you may not know his name, but you've heard him. He was the drummer for many years with Uriah Heep, and he was also the drummer on the first couple of Ozzy Osbourne albums. If you've heard Crazy Train by Ozzy, if you've heard Easy Living by Uriah Heep, uh, you've heard Lee Kerslake. He was a brilliant drummer. I have, had not had the chance to meet him. But uh, everyone that uh, that that knew him seems to just have the the greatest love. We'd known for some time that he was ill. It had been announced quite a while ago that he was uh, he was sick, and uh, he he hung in there for a long time. And then finally, uh, just a couple of days ago, lost the battle. But uh, it's it's very sad to see him go. But his legacy is huge. And uh, I suggest, you know what, just Google him, Google his uh, his discography. It's unbelievably impressive. He he wasn't like um, he wasn't like your solid rock or your, your standard rock drummer either. He was great with timing. He also did backup vocals, which most drummers do not do, especially with the kind of playing that he was doing. That takes a lot of cardio. So to imagine, you know, somebody who's playing the way that he does and then you have uh, vocals on top of that playing, 
that takes a lot of stamina. And and he was not a little guy. You know, he was he was a hefty guy. So to think about a hefty guy playing as quickly as he played and the kind of stuff that he was playing and doing backup vocals live on top of that. I mean, that's that's just pretty impressive. But he's somebody that I certainly learned a lot from somebody I've spent a lot of years enjoying his his masterful work. Uh, very talented drummer, uh, definitely will be missed. And uh, the music lives on. I think that's really the only thing that we can take when a when a great artist passes is that their art is something that will sustain long beyond their years in this realm. So uh, cheers, Lee. Thanks for everything that you gave us. Absolutely tremendous. And we will continue to enjoy those things until the end of time. All right. So this week uh, we're going to be talking about Entranced. I'll get to the uh, the announcement here in just a little bit. You know, I'm going to put it somewhere in the middle. I was going to say it right off the bat, but then it's like, okay, well, that's kind of a big announcement. And then everything else might seem lesser after that. So I'm, I'm going to put it where I put it and that's where it'll be. And you'll find out if you keep listening. So this album um, is, is, has kind of an interesting story because originally this was going to be the project that I had expected to turn into mental sauna. And that's what I set out to write. But it was it started out a little more um, synthy than I had thought uh, it would be. And here's what happened. So I was really kind of just still getting into virtual instruments at this time. And there were these huge sales like everywhere with the handful of instrument designers that we had at the time. Now there's like thousands of them. But at the time, there really weren't that many good quality ones. And I was still pretty new at it. So uh, they were expensive, you know, and I relied on sales. And there were these huge sales. I can't remember if it was what holiday it was. It might have been a Memorial Day thing or a Fourth of July thing. I don't know. But uh, I got some really good ones. And that really changed the shape of the album. And I just, you know, when I was thinking in terms of the songs, I'm like, you know, with this new stuff, I could go back. And I could add this, I could do that, I could switch this around. So I kind of put on my producer hat a little bit and then reshaped the album, kind of just forgot all about the whole mental sauna thing at the time. I thought this is just going to be a fun album to do. It's got a little bit of a cool edge to it. Um, the synthesizers that I use, some of them have just like a cold, harsh, metallic sounds to them. And, uh, and that's okay because it's not a mental sauna album. I wasn't once I kind of got on this path, I stopped thinking in the way of relaxation. And so I didn't use any kind of tube warmers or anything to warm it up. I kind of liked the aesthetic that it had. Um, it's layered so that there are warm sounds supporting the cold sounds, but the colder sounds kind of take the uh, precedent in, in some of the songs and then the warmer tones do in some of the other songs. So it was a really interesting experiment. But what I realized was I had something that was what I thought very unique completely unmarketable. I mean, you know, you'll hear bits of the songs and you tell me how you would market it because it's not anything that falls into a standard category. You can't put it really in new age because it's really not new age. Although on my website, that's the page I put it on because that's what most closely I think suits it. Um, it's not relaxation, but it's, it's, you know, instrumental sort of new agey. 
uh, maybe a little bit more hard edged for, for new age, but I think kind of within the realm, but you can't categorize it that way uh, with the public, because if you're looking for new age music and you find this album, it's probably not going to hit you at a time that you're open to hear it. So there's, you know, it's not really world because it's mostly uh, synthesizers, which is not uh, typical world music, although there is some world percussion in it. Um, it's certainly not soundtrack. It's it's really kind of its own thing. So marketing, it was a bit of a nightmare. And uh, but I still think the music holds up. I think it's uh, something I'm very proud of, at the very least. And uh, I'm really happy to go through the songs and share them with you today. The, uh, the the other thing that was going on in my life that definitely had an influence on this album was I was really just starting to get into Romanian music, you know, gypsy music. And there is some really, really amazing uh, music out there that is very traditional to those folks. But for me, it was something that I had not uh, experienced before. I wasn't familiar with any of it. Um, it's, it's all done in language I don't understand, which by this point I was so accustomed to Cirque du Soleil music that the words didn't really matter as much in the song for me as the sound of the vocals, using vocals more as an instrument. And so, uh, that was a big part of the influence. And I think why, uh, a part of why this, uh, project went the way it did. Um, it's, it's really just interesting how things develop when you have an original vision and you start and you go, okay, this is what I'm going to do. Here's kind of a general marketing plan for it. Uh, here's how I'm going to release it. And, and you think about all these things and then the project completely changes and throws all that stuff out of the water and you're kind of left to start over. So what you do is you don't worry about any of that. You just write the music. If you start writing the music tailored to how you're going to market it, you're going to be editing potentially good things out because your, your focus is going to be on does this fit the marketing as opposed to does this fit the song? And the first question should always be, does this fit the song? And uh, there was there were some struggles there that I had along the way. But once I shed myself of the original idea and said, OK, just write the music. That's all you need to do at this point is just write the music. I did that. And uh, I think that's why it turned out the way it did in uh, in, the, in the overall, at least my happiness of the music. Um Interestingly, I hadn't lived at the apartment that I was at for very long when I started writing this, and I wasn't familiar with the culture of the community or anything, and there were a lot of people from India there, and so the uh, the aromas from different uh, apartments and, and the food that they were cooking was something I was not quite accustomed to. It wasn't unpleasant. It was just something that I was not familiar with. So whenever I hear some of these songs, and kind of go back to when I was writing them, some of those aromas come back into my head. I don't know if if it was lamb or what it might have been. I know it wouldn't have been beef, uh, possibly lamb, uh, but the spices that they were using, like all of that, like really seeped into my apartment. And I don't know if the previous tenant uh, was from India or not, but uh, these are re like really traditional people. And so uh, it was it was really interesting to be immersed in a completely different culture and trying to write an album that really kind of encompassed a world feel and getting some culture like pipe fed right into my apartment. So uh, it, it, there's so many factors, I think, that that really made this a very unique album. So as I'm looking at doing the follow up album, um, I'm not really trying to copy what I did on the first one. Um, instrumentation wise, a little bit, perhaps. 
but not so much. Um, I'm using somewhat warmer tones on this one and still using the synthesizer percussion uh, thing. Otherwise, I wouldn't have called it entranced. I would have called it something else. So that basic structure is still going to be there. But the music is going to be different. I'm not the composer that I was in, uh, you know, in 2006 when I wrote this. Um, I am that guy, but I'm also uh, a different guy. I've grown in so many different directions, or I'd like to think that I have. And I think the music will reflect that. Certainly different style of writing, but that basic uh, foundation of, of that partnership will be there. So we'll see how it goes. We'll see as I as I get to work on it. Um between this show and the other project I'm doing and uh, a couple of other gigs that I picked up like uh, proofreading work and stuff. It's um, it's really, really been a challenge to find time. That's why I'd rather take it slow and do something I'm happy with than hurry up and rush it out just to get another album out. That doesn't make any sense to me, even though people are kind of screaming for content right now. And I know my voice sounds a little bit weak today. I've barely spoken in the last couple of days. Tried to do some warm-ups earlier, but you know, you really can't combat not making sound for a couple of days and just making a little bit of sound and expecting you're gonna sound, you know, great and boisterous. So that is not me today. And that's okay. I'm still gonna get the words out. So there you go. So let's uh let's do this. Let's listen to uh there are 14 songs on the album. Let's listen to a little snippet of the opener, which is called Caravan. No Roma influence there. And uh, then we'll talk about it. So another thing that I forgot to mention had gone on during this point was this is when I had started working on film scores as well. And I had had some knee surgery a few months prior to working on this album. In fact, it was in the previous apartment. And one of the movies that my brother rented me to watch was a movie called The Island with Scarlett Johansson and Ewan McGregor. And the score was done by Steve Jablonski. And this was my introduction to his music fantastic composer and very nice guy. Uh, I I really loved the soundtrack to that. And it has some of that similar type of percussion to it. And uh, I really liked that. I hadn't heard anything quite like that. And so uh, that was one of the things that attracted me to buy these particular sound sets was because I really wanted something that I had uh, at my disposal that had similar percussion for film scoring. But I found that it worked here very, very well. So I... I pictured in my head just kind of watching far in the distance on top of a, like a long sand dune, um, you know, with the, with the sun on the opposite side of them, just this, this caravan of, of people with, uh, you know, sort of not, not like, uh, Laura Ingalls Conestoga wagon kind of things, but just like, you know, Middle Eastern, like covered wagons and uh, them just, you know, traipsing slowly across the sand. And every once in a while, some of the sand would just come sliding down the dune and, and you would wonder if it was going to cave or not. And just trying to make their way through the hot desert. And 
they have their their moments of shade where they can cool off a little bit. Maybe they stop and have a drink, uh, you know, out there in, you know, there's camels and just that sort of imagery was what I was working with when I wrote the song. And I think I could be wrong, but I think this was actually the first one that I did right. I'll have to double check that. But I, I think this is the first song I actually did right for the album. I, I really go through a lot of uh, struggle when it comes to putting songs in order for an album. You get used to hearing it a certain way. And then when you say, yes, but it doesn't work for the album, and then you start switching them around, then it feels weird to you. But, uh, you know, you, you go with what you think works and that's how you actually release it. But that doesn't mean that that's the order that you as the composer are accustomed to the songs because you probably didn't write them in the order unless you're doing like a, a concept album like I did with, say, um, Kindred Spirits, where I pretty much went through and I wrote the lyrics to everything and said, OK, here's the story. Now write the music. And I pretty much started from beginning and, and wrote that uh, in order. But uh, this isn't a concept album. So in, unless they happen to fit together in that same order that you wrote them in, you wouldn't release it that way. So um, this uh, this came out the way that it did. And, and I ordered them the way that I felt best was for the album. But again, not necessarily the, the way I wrote them. But Caravan was just a, it was a nice journey. It was kind of a nice way to get into this kind of music and see if I had something that I thought I could really carry through with. And, and this was one that uh, I felt like it it does kind of just like pick you up and take you on a journey with the characters, at least the characters, because that's what I picture in my head. But it's an interesting song, and it, I think it has a really good blend of drums and synthesizer, but the synthesizer just kind of, it just kind of tugs you along and uh, the way it oscillates. And uh, I think that was very powerful. That was why I chose that sound, that main sound to work with. But certainly some good stuff in there. Unfortunately, this particular instrument has gone missing. Uh, I still have it, and I'm using it on the new album, but it was a, uh, a program that was released by Pro Samples, which was distributed by Zero G and also um, Sounds Online. And neither one of them seemed to have any responsibility to it. Now, Sounds Online has reissued a lot of those uh, that were in that series. And Vapor was the only one I can see that did not get re-released. So when I was at NAMM, I talked to them about it and they said they would look it up. Uh, They were never able to find any definitive ownership over it. And so I went to Zero G, who also had distributed it, and uh, they also said, no, this isn't ours. We don't have any rights to it. I'm like, well, I, I don't understand how nobody can know who this belongs to and why it's the one that hasn't been reissued. So I don't know what's going on with that, um, but I am working off the old 32-bit version of it, which is, in a way, it's kind of cool. Um, I don't think the, song, the songs really need to be done with a 64-bit synth, although some of the supporting synths I'm using are... But uh, Vapor was the main synth that I used on this particular uh, album. And uh, I had just gotten it and I absolutely fell in love with it immediately. Three sounds in, I, I was just hooked as to what uh, what it contained in the library. And there's still so many sounds that I haven't even touched. But it's, uh, it's, a, it's a great synth and it really made this album uh, unique, especially now because no one can find it. So no one else is using those sounds. But uh, but yeah, this was a fun one to do. I really enjoyed it. And uh, let's see what the next song is. It's Epicenter. And let's take a little bit of a listen to that.
Okay, so I double-checked, and Caravan was not the first song that I wrote for the album. It was the second one. I knew it was up there in the beginning somewhere. Uh, Epicenter, this song, was the ninth that I wrote, so I was pretty deep into it by the time that I got to this one. Really had uh, had defined what I wanted for the album and uh, really had set the sound. So this was a pretty comfortable song to write. Obviously, very synthesizer-based. Um, I really love these, uh, you know, it, it makes a sound and sort of disperses, but not like in a, in, it doesn't feel like a delay. It just feels like a repeat. And there's, there's definitely a difference to that. A delay tends to have, um, you know, a decay to it in volume, whereas a, a repeat is going to have that same consistency, or maybe it'll fade out after a certain number of repeats in the way a delay would. Uh, but uh, these, it definitely has a, a very unique feel to it. And these particular sounds that I used, I remember at this point, I was kind of challenging, my, challenging myself. I would pick a bunch of sounds and say, okay, I'm going to write a song using these sounds. And they're all going to be on par with the theme of the album. Now put the song together. And uh, I think this might have been the first or second one I did that with. But uh, it was certainly a, a challenge to take sounds like that and blend them together. But I'm really happy with the way that the song develops and the way it, it sort of goes on its own journey, uh, as all of these songs really do. And uh, it, it's one that just kind of takes you away, but keeps you with your with your eyebrow raised. Like it's not not a song that will uh, that you can just kind of like lay on a cloud and, and just float around the room with it. It's more of a What's going on here? What's what's at the heart of this? Which is why I called it Epicenter. That was Wide-Eyed, and that was the fifth song that I wrote for the album. Uh, used a little bit of uh, Egyptian percussion on this one, and uh, really kind of wanted to give it uh, a little bit of a... You know, I hate to say, because it really depends on what the what images the music brings to your mind. But for me, I can say I kind of was thinking about going through uh, like an Egyptian tomb, just walking through with a torch and discovering the different things and what's around this corner and what's around that corner and just being so overtaken by uh, the depth of the artwork and and the fact that, you know, in, in my imagination, no one had seen this for thousands of years. It was just me discovering it. And uh, so it was, it was definitely something where, you know, you would think as you're walking through, your eyes are just huge and you're, you're trying to take it all in and you're trying to process all of these different things that you're seeing in the, the era and the last time anyone had seen them and all of that. And you're doing it all by the light of a torch. So uh, that's that's how I got the title for the song. But uh, it really this one really came about more from the percussion 
than the synthesizer on this one. But again, here's another synthesizer where I would say this one does sound a bit colder. And, uh, you know, if you think of the, the context of the song for me that, that inspired me to write it, it certainly makes sense. You know, it's not going to be warm in this tomb, probably. Well, I don't know. Maybe it is because in Egypt, it does get pretty warm. But you would think like inside the stone is going to be cold and it's going to be dark. So it's it's not like sunlighting is, is hitting it on the inside. Uh, so I would imagine it's going to be fairly chilly in there. And, and the only warmth you would have would be from the torch. And so that's kind of how this one all came together. It was a lot of fun. One of my favorites, actually, to put together for the album. And uh, it's one of the ones that I listen to quite often. Cleansing Waves was the 10th song that I wrote for the album. So I was getting kind of close to the end here. Um, played a little bit around with uh, the shakers on this one. And there are some voices. There's also some uh, uh, Middle Eastern violin in the beginning. And it definitely just, it, it's one of those songs that you just kind of sit there. And, and I imagine being in a room where there is a wall that just has different colored lights flashing on it. And you have no idea why you're in this room, but you feel like you're there to be purified almost, to have the uh, the things that are stressing you out just kind of pushed out of you. And you close your eyes and you immerse yourself into the colors and let the colors take you where they will. And the percussion in this particular song will uh, just kind of guide you along that, getting you through all the different color schemes and carrying you through to the end where you're cleansed. And so I pictured the uh, the, the colors and I, I pictured them in, at first it was kind of flashes and, and then that didn't really work for what I wanted. So I kind of pictured them more in waves, just like washes of color that would come over you and then the next one would come and the next one would come and, uh, and and cleanse all that stuff uh, away, all the stress of your day just washed off by these color waves. And uh, that was how I got the title Cleansing Waves. Even though I was so close to finishing the album, uh, I knew I still had a couple more songs that I wanted to write. But I kind of took a step back and said, am I losing focus? Am I losing direction? I didn't want this to be uh, a new age album after I had kind of gone and uh, changed from when I first started. And I was afraid that I was slipping back into that. But I, I added a little bit more percussion to keep it more on par with the album than I had had originally. 
But uh, it stayed pretty much the same after that. And at this point, I, I was literally days away. I was finishing a song a day uh, to to be able to finish the album or a song every couple of days and getting really close. But I don't feel at any point that I rushed anything to get it done. And it, it's it's weird. You get so involved in, in the project, you kind of get a little bit lost in it. And you've, you kind of wonder if you've got the same perspective or not. And no one else is hearing it. So you have no one to get feedback from, no one to get advice from or kind of keep you on track. It's really all up to you. But I was really glad that I took a step back to make sure, because I think if I hadn't, I might have gone too far in the next song. So this was a really good point for me to just kind of back off for a second and go, wait a minute, let's listen back to everything. What am I doing? Am I still where I want to be? And I found out that for the most part, yes, I was. I went back and made adjustments and then moved on to the next song. Now, the next song on the album, however, is called With Cautious Wonder. With Cautious Wonder was the seventh song that I wrote for the album. That's hard to say. Seventh song. Seventh song. I guess if you slow it down, it's not too bad. But anyway, uh, the seventh that I wrote for the album, and uh, this was kind of where I was thinking uh, I I wanted to take uh, a little bit of time away from the album just to kind of go, okay, I've written a bunch. Let's take a, a little break. And I was going to take a couple of days off. And of course, you know, in in true typical fashion of me, that only lasted for a couple of days. And then I went right on back to writing. But uh, it it was one that that really has like a nice pulse to it, but then some sort of angelic moments as well. And you almost feel like you want to be optimistic, like you have reasonable belief to be optimistic in a situation, but there's still that part of you that conditioned part of you that says, yeah, you should wonder, but you should really also kind of keep your guard up a little bit. And so it's it's like, I'm going to allow myself to, to be optimistic a little. I'm going to allow myself to see what kind of candy is in the store, but I'm not going to fully commit to knowing that I'm going to find something that's just right for me or that the opportunity here is as good as it appears to be. And then there's those points where you're like, okay, but it's got to be like everything seems legit. And then that that kicks back in, that conditioning that uh, that you might have where when you get your hopes up, they get crushed. So it's it's really fighting that line that I find I have done a lot in my life. I don't know if you have too, uh, but I certainly have. 
And so I just go through and, and go, okay, this is how I felt, or this is how I can express how I feel when I'm in those moments. And that is how the song was born. That combination of darkness of you're going to look anyway of maybe this is great, but maybe it's not. So I should be cautious. And uh, it's it's a little bit of a roller coaster emotionally for me, even though I think musically I didn't play it off as severely as I meant it because I didn't think it fit the album. So uh, it's it's that fine line between here's the story I want to tell and here's where I'm telling it. So you have to you have to balance that a little bit. So I did not I really didn't like the idea of the song being too harsh anyway. I think that it, it I would rather make it just a nice journey than something that was uh, to express the, the kind of anxiety or intensity that you might feel at a time like this. Digging Deeper actually was the very first song that I wrote for this album. And uh, I should point out that I wrote most of these songs uh, between late September and early November of 2006. And so, you know, you're getting into even in Arizona, where I was living at the time, you're getting into uh, it's starting to get a little bit chilly out. So there's there's that. And, uh, you know, you mix in all the ethnic foods and the smells and, and everything else that was going on. It's such a unique album. And I think that's why uh, all these random seeming influences, Roma music, uh, ethnic food sense, uh, the weather changing, uh, new to, to these really cool virtual instruments that I happen to find a, a, a great deal of sales. Uh, just so many things that came together. And this, by the way, was when we were still getting them in the mail. Like we had to either go to a store if the store had them or you had to order them by mail and you would get a box full of seven or eight DVDs that that would take you hours to load and get the instrument up and running. So all this anticipation is building up and they have to be good at that point because now the anticipation has set the bar so high that it's kind of going to be hard to um, really make it something that makes you happy. So there's all those these factors to consider. I'd spent two or three days, I think, uh, uh, just installing the libraries that I bought without really getting the time to to listen to them, let alone write anything with them. And then uh, I think Vapor was actually the first one I listened to. And this, this pad that you hear in the background, um, I think it's called Cloud or Cloud something. That was what the basis of this song was and why I wrote it first because I was just listening to different sounds with the instrument, seeing everything that it had to offer, what tools you could use to manipulate the sounds that were part of that uh, package itself versus things that you can do to tweak it uh, in post-production. And I just, I loved this sound. And I thought, I've got to, I've got to write a song with this. How can I not write a song with this? And that was how Entrance got started was based on this one particular sound in Vapor. So whoever you are that created Vapor, thank you 
because this album uh, and and probably the uh, the new one would not have happened without you creating this product. Wish that they would reissue it, but uh, it is what it is. Now this uh, this song is a little bit slower. It's a little bit more um, calmer. So it has a little bit more of a calming effect. And you could kind of see where I started with the idea of doing a relaxation album. Uh, but as I as I realized that this isn't uh, the direction that I wanted to stay in, that I went back and I added a little bit more percussion to the original version of it. And uh, I, I kind of saw the project developing from there. But this was uh, this this all was born around that one particular pad sound. And uh, there's some flutes and, and, you know, some percussion in there as well. But that's that's definitely where it started. And uh, I think it set the pace. I think it set the tone for the album to come. Landing was the eighth song that I wrote for the album. And this is all about the concept of landing on a foreign planet, not knowing anything about where you're at. So you don't know if it's hostile. You don't know if it's friendly. You don't know if there's anyone around. Uh, Can you survive here for a while? Is there vegetation? Is there water? Uh, So many unanswered questions. And you're just going to have to get out and explore. But you're going to explore very carefully. I would think that you would anyway. And this came, this general concept came from uh, an episode of the Twilight Zone, Uh, actually a a conglomeration of a couple different episodes of the Twilight Zone where, uh, you know, these, these old rocket ships that they had in the movies, like in the fifties where they were a little more rounded and uh, you know, just kind of traveling through space and they always land somewhere and get into some kind of shenanigans because it was the twilight zone, of course, they're going to get into shenanigans. But this just kind of like was the idea of, of a small part of them when they land somewhere and they get out and they start exploring. Like you don't know anything about the the ground. You don't know anything about the potential uh, life that might be on this planet or might not be. Are you going to be welcomed? Are you going to be prey? Are you going to be alone? So many unanswered questions. So it's there's a lot of up and downs in the song, and that's really what it was based on was that uh, that idea. It was definitely a, a fun one to write because it, it was the first one that I wrote where I felt the the cold sounds 
uh, of these uh, of vapor really really worked in a in a space environment because you know we all know that space is supposed to be very cold. I haven't gone myself, so I don't know. I've never been there. But the the concept of space being very very cold and antiseptic and uh, kind of unforgiving, and I think that this sounds really lend themselves to that. And you've got the the you know the driving percussion, even though it's not big heavy percussion all the time. It's mostly smaller hand percussion. Um, but I use that because it's it's not about the bigger landscape of the world. It's about you and what you're going through. So it's kind of like, you know, it's telling your story as you're walking around trying to figure out this new uh, environment that you found yourself in and what's going to happen to you and, and having that anxiety and excitement all at the same time. Uh, it seems to be kind of a theme for the album, doesn't it? <laughs> All right, you know and love that theme, don't you? That is the transition music from the Haskin Cast podcast. Normally at this point, I would be bringing a guest on, but I'm not going to do that. Instead, it is time for the announcement. So you guys may remember a couple of episodes. I had the pleasure of interviewing Uriah Heap guitarist Mick Box. What a what a wonderful gentleman. Uh, just so kind, so uh, just embracing the joys of life. And uh, even though it's a sad time right now for Uriah Heep with the loss of Lee Kerslake, uh, prior to that, Mick and I, after my interview with him, I had brought up the idea of doing a deep dive podcast with the music of Uriah Heep. And he thought it was a great idea. And so I'm doing it. That's right. I have a new podcast coming starting November 3rd and every Tuesday, every week, I will bring you a new song from Uriah Heep. And we'll go over the song and talk about it. So this is going to be a deep dive starting from the very beginning, going back to Uriah Heep's first album. October of 2020 is their 50-year anniversary. They're coming out with this amazing box set. If you haven't listened to the interview with Mick, go back to episode 121 and check it out. We talk about this incredibly extensive box set that they've, they're releasing with BMI. And uh, so... It's it's a perfect time to go back and relive every single thing that Uriah Heep has done. Now, I'm only talking about studio albums here. I'm not going to do any live albums, at least not at this point. Will that be added later? Uh, who knows? I mean, I'm looking at doing a six-year journey with this band of all the songs that they've done. So I will be doing all the uh, album release tracks and then all the bonus tracks from those released albums, at least any of the ones that I can find. And we're just going to dive in and see what their music is all about. They're one of the bands that has been such a huge influence for me. Uh, I, as I said earlier at the beginning of the show, how much I learned from Lee Kerslake, they're one of their drummers. But I've also learned so much from all of them, from Ken Hensley, who was a primary songwriter during the, the 70s, and the, their keyboard player and one of their vocalists and, and acoustic guitarists, as well as what I've learned from Mick Box about uh, just just rhythmic melodies and how to play, how to make your solo exciting and vibrant, but also still keep it within the context of the song. I, I heard so many people, so many guitarists that think that just playing fast is the way to be impressive, but you can play fast and still make it part of the song, be relevant to, to what you're playing for. And Mick is a master of that. And then you've got other vocalists like John Lawton, David Byron, David Golby, uh, just, just some amazing people up to their current uh, vocalist, Bernie Shaw. And there's so many years, 50 years worth of stuff. So on top of all the albums that they've already released, Mick released. Did I say that? 
Mick is, uh, let us know that they are going back in the studio in February to record yet another album. And I'm sure there'll be at least another one after that and maybe another one after that. Who knows? These guys are on fire. And so that's just going to add more shows. So assuming that they do one more album at least after this one in February, uh, it's a six easily six years if I do one song every week, including the bonus tracks. I am, however, going to double up a little bit on the bonus tracks. If there are, if there's a, a song that is a regular studio release album track, and there's a, an unreleased version of it as a bonus track, then I will just do those two episodes together. If there is uh, just a bonus track that was not, uh, that there's no other version on the standard album, then that will get its own episode. So it's, I'm in for the long haul, guys. I'm willing to take this time out of my life and just really dive into what these guys have given us. 50 years of music. I've I've enjoyed so much and I've learned so much. And I think digging in, I'm going to learn to appreciate them even more. And I hope you will too. So stay tuned to my website. The link to my website is in the show notes. When you click on that link at the top, there'll be a header for the main pages that you can go to. And there is now a header for Uriah Heap. So click on the website, go to the Uriah Heap link. I'm still in the process of setting it up. So uh, be patient, but come October 3rd, episodes will be forthcoming or issued or they'll be there. Uh, I'm planning on releasing five episodes on release day. I'm going to do an opener and then four songs. Uh, Cheers, Lee. Thanks for everything that you gave us. Absolutely tremendous. And we will continue to enjoy those things until the end of time. All right, so this week uh, we're going to be talking about Entranced. I'll get to the uh, the announcement here in just a little bit. You know I'm going to put it somewhere in the middle. I was going to say it right off the bat, but then it's like, okay, well, that's kind of a big announcement, and then everything else might seem lesser after that. So I'm I'm going to put it where I put it, and that's where it'll be. And you'll find out if you keep listening. So this album um, is, is has kind of an interesting story because originally this was going to be the project that I had expected to turn into mental sauna. And that's what I set out to write, but it was, it started out a little more, um, synthy than I had thought, uh, it would be. And here's what happened. So I was really kind of just still getting into virtual instruments at this time. And there were, these huge sales like everywhere with the handful of instrument designers that we had at the time. Now there's like thousands of them, but at the time there really weren't that many good quality ones. And I was still pretty new at it. So, uh, they were expensive, you know, and I relied on sales and there were these huge sales. I can't remember if it was what holiday it was. It might've been a Memorial day thing or a 4th of July thing. I don't know. But uh, I got some really good ones. And that really changed the shape of the album. And I just, you know, when I was thinking in terms of the songs, I'm like, you know, with this new stuff, I could go back and I could add this. I could do that. I could switch this around. So I kind of put on my producer hat a little bit and then reshaped the album, kind of just forgot all about the whole mental sauna thing at the time. I thought this is just going to be a fun album to do. It's got a little bit of a cool edge to it. Um, the synthesizers that I use, some of them have just like a cold, harsh metallic sounds to them. And, uh, and that's okay because it's not a mental sauna album. I wasn't, once I kind of got on this path, I stopped thinking in the way of relaxation 
And so I didn't use any kind of tube warmers or anything to warm it up. I kind of liked the aesthetic that it had. Um, it's layered so that there are warm sounds supporting the cold sounds, but the colder sounds kind of take the uh, precedent in, in some of the songs and then the warmer tones do in some of the other songs. So it was a really interesting experiment. But what I realized was I had something that was what I thought very unique, completely unmarketable. I mean, you know, you'll hear bits of the songs and you tell me how you would market it because it's not anything that falls into a standard category. You can't put it really in new age because it's really not new age. Although on my website, that's the page I put it on because that's what... This was Falling Seeds, and that's actually the final song that I wrote for the album. And this title came from an interesting little patch on one of the programs that I purchased called Sounds of Polynesia. I knew I wanted some ethnic stuff, and uh, I didn't realize that this was mostly a looping program, and I really am not into loops. I played with them a little bit to understand them, but what I decided to use them for was the quality of the music because these loops are very, very professionally done. And I thought, you know, if I use this to A-B test the music, then I'll know if my mixes are right, if the volumes are right, and if what I'm putting out is going to have that same professional sounding quality to it with my mixing side, not with the writing side, because they're written different than I would write. And uh, so some good came out of it anyway, but there was a, a patch on there called Falling Coconut. And I really liked the sound of it. So I took the sound and I, I edited it a little bit so that I could use it on, I don't remember which song I used it on. I think it was the, I think it was the second to the last one, Village Life might've been. Uh, but anyway, or or in Cosmic Flight, which is the last song. But, but in any case, um, I really liked the, that title. And I started thinking about Falling Coconut. You know, it just sits up there in the tree and it waits and it waits. And then all of a sudden, Somebody either comes and shakes it down or, you know, maybe over time it'll fall off on its own. So I really kind of got interested in that concept and I started thinking of it from the standpoint of the coconut. And then I thought, you know, there's all these other things like pine cone trees go through the same thing. Uh, you know, will somebody come and knock the pine cones off? Do they just fall on their own and plant their own seeds in the back in the ground? And it's it's just such an interesting concept about, you know, the the evolution of nature. And so the more I thought about it, that's kind of how I developed this song. And maybe uh, you'll hear that in, in the music. Decision Time was the third song I wrote for this album, and I this is one of my favorites. This really hit at the time when I was kind of struggling between, do I want to try and recapture the, the original idea 
of uh, doing this as a sort of new age relaxation album, or do I want to kind of continue and then beef up the first couple songs on a new path? And I thought, now's the time I have to decide. This is important to do it now because it's going to be too much to go back and, and allow myself to make changes when I like what I'm hearing and force myself to make decisions I don't want to make. So I need to make the decision right here, right now, which direction am I going on this album? And so the song really relates to that particular struggle and not just the struggle of making a decision, although it could certainly be applied to that. But really for me, this particular one that I was in at the moment I was writing the song. And uh, I, I'm obviously I'm happy with what I chose because I chose to go ahead and continue and release the albums. I was only three songs in at this point with 11 to go. So uh, clearly I, I made the choice. And to this day, I'm very happy with the one I made. Uh, there's some interesting percussion on this. Um, again, uh, some world percussion, some small uh, hand percussion and, and small drums that I used on this. But I kind of like that boom, boom. In, in the beginning uh, and in this section of the song when it repeats because it's split to uh, a couple of different ears as it is actually a couple of different instruments and getting the timing of it right to hit those was a little bit challenging um, because it's the second one's slightly off, but it, it worked really well. And uh, I think it helped move this song. There's definitely moments of conflict that you'll hear in, in the song and moments where I'm like, okay, I have to decide, but I just don't know what to do. I'm not sure. And uh, obviously, you know, in the end, we got resolution. Not really sure the song does, though. I'll leave that up to your discretion. Intersection was actually inspired by a song that Steve Jablonski wrote on the soundtrack for the island called Massive Vehicular Carnage. And, you know, it's it's just a, a crazy scene of cars hitting each other and, and the police pursuing Scarlett Johansson and Ewan McGregor through this futuristic city. And it's pretty intense, but the, the music really gripped me for this one. And, uh, the the hard edge of the percussion is is what uh, what I kind of got out of it that and just the the harsher synthesizers like at the beginning and then it, it gets a little more towards the entranced flavor uh, but there's a couple of spots where it kind of returns to that uh, initial idea so it was really just a a, a, a a snapshot of one particular intersection you know through a journey like that and and people just sitting there waiting and you know just seeing this, this uh 
massive craziness coming at them and some of the cars get hit and, and that's the jolt that you feel in the song and the percussion. Uh, I had a lot of fun with it though. And uh, it's definitely something that I feel um, has a good pacing and a good forward movement to it. It, it. it has a couple of drop downs where, you know, it, it goes rushing by or you, you get hit and you stop spinning and you're like, what the hell just happened? And those moments are in the song. And, um, yeah, it was a lot of fun to write. I, I really enjoyed this one. It, it gave me a little bit more, I feel, creative freedom. And, and it's weird to say that as somebody who wrote the entire album, but with some of the songs, you create a structure uh, for the song and you stay within the confines of that structure or you make certain changes to uh, journey out of it or or bend it a little bit. But with this song, I kind of feel like it was something where I could I could have gotten three different songs out of the parts of the songs that I used in this album. So it left me with a little more uh, of, of a wider canvas to, to paint the picture on, I think. The Looking Glass. Uh, this was the fourth song that I wrote for the album and certainly the darkest. It really, for me, and, and granted, I wrote this in the fall, but it really has that uh, fall feel to it. You know, uh, everything's changing over into the new season. And it's getting cooler out and there's a bit of uh, anxiety in the air for Halloween and haunted houses and ghosts and all that sort of thing. So uh, this one was was one about just kind of the idea of going back to um, uh, decision time, just thinking about the the idea of looking at the problem, but through a different perspective. And instead of just, you know, looking through the jolly perspective that I usually do, what if I looked at it as something completely different and, and just tried to twist it even to maybe a different project altogether? And I, I was still early enough into it where I could have done that, but uh, I'm glad I didn't. And this song, though, really reflects sort of the the turmoil of of that decision. But I really like this is one of the songs where the coldness of vapor really comes into play because it it really gives it that uh, that edge that I was looking for 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 uh, several songs on this album. And this one being one that absolutely uh, just just right off the top sets the tone. And uh, I would be curious to to write like. Um, like entranced to dark or something like that, where, where all the songs have that sort of dark edge, but I'm not sure that I would ever do that. I think, um, I think it might be too much on one album and kind of get boring after a while or something I would run out of ideas for. So, uh, I would be curious to see what I could come up with, but certainly not, um, something I'm going to do, but, uh, yeah, this is one of my favorites. Um, this is one of the, uh, songs that goes on my, on my autumn playlist. Uh, when I when I want to get uh, a bit psyched up, because normally in the summertime when it's 118 degrees, I'm writing Christmas music for the following Christmas. So my my perception of what uh, 
whether should should be associated with different things is is quite off. But uh, but this one uh, this is one that I use as a mood setter, and one of my favorite pieces actually uh, of all the music that I've written. Um, this one is is definitely one of my all time favorites. Sudden Temperature Change was the 12th song that I wrote for the album out of the 14. And there was this day, the day that I started working on this, uh, I I remember just, it was like a, a warmish kind of morning. And I thought, oh, you know, it doesn't feel like fall today. Maybe I, I won't really work on on the album because it, the, the weather just didn't seem to fit what I was wanting to feel. But man, just all of a sudden, you know, within a, a couple of hours, it just got really cold and windy and billowy and uh, almost icy, you know, when, when the temperature drops very quickly. I remember the weirdest weather that I ever saw to this day. And I've seen, you know, those haboobs in Phoenix, which are just the giant walls of dirt that the city throws at you and they go on for hours. Uh, I've seen weird stuff. OK, I have. But the weirdest thing I ever saw, I was living in Denver with my roommate, Scott, and we had uh, a morning that started off, you know, bright and early. It was in the autumn and, uh, you know, it was kind of just a bright, warm day. Didn't really think too much of it. It was raining a little bit, kind of drizzling like it does in Colorado sometimes, or at least did back then. And then uh, it started to get cold. So the, uh, you know, it turned into just a little bit of a light snow that turned into a heavier snow that turned into Almost uh, almost blizzard conditions, very thick flakes, uh, low visibility, all all in, you know, a matter of, of a good eight hours. And uh, I remember we had we had finished dinner and we were sitting there watching TV. I think we were watching like The Simpsons or Jeopardy or something. And we kept hearing crack thump. Crack thump. And we look at each other. We're like, what the hell is going on? So we we go out on the patio and the snow is just coming down. I mean, it, it is coming down hard. And there's lightning behind the snow, which I had never seen before. I've never seen lightning and snow at the same time. And what was happening was the snow was really thick and wet. I mean, it was it was a good blizzard. And fortunately, both of us had four-wheel drive vehicles. But um, we're watching the snowfall. And then what's happening is the snow's collecting on the branches of the trees that they had just spent like a few thousand dollars restoring all these trees and stuff in our apartment complex. And the, we're looking and what's happening is the the snow is heavy because it's wet, but also the sudden temperature change was just, uh, uh, you know, a shock to the trees. So all of a sudden the trees are weakened by that. And then the snow, uh, the weight of the wet snow was just too much and the branches would fall to the ground. So we would hear the crack of the branch and then the, the thump as it fell into the snow. 
And it was it, to this day, just the weirdest, weirdest weather I've ever seen. And, uh, you know, <laughs> what, what do you do? We just stood there and watched it until we were done watching it. And then we just went back inside, but definitely, um, definitely more along the realm of the weird for me. But that's that's what was going on when uh, I wrote this song. Not that extent, but it was it was definitely a drastic change. It didn't snow that day, but it certainly was uh, extremely windy, which does happen. And uh, in fact, I, I remember feeling the uh, the building that I was living in, the apartment complex at the time, just, just was shaking from the harsh winds. And Phoenix, it does get really windy there from time to time. Uh, especially in the fall. And then sometimes I think during the monsoon seasons, but there's, there's a period it gets pretty crazy. It does here in Vegas too. Um, but uh, yeah, it was just one of those days. And this is the song that came out of that experience. Village life. So while uh, I was working on this album, one of the things that I was really into was The Amazing Race. And I had caught up on several seasons of the show. But what I loved about this was that they would go to, you know, they fly into major cities, but then their excursions or their tasks uh, are in these, you know, obscure little villages and towns and things like that. Things that as a tourist, you wouldn't typically see. Uh, one of the reasons that the uh, the host of the show, Phil, had written a book, and in his book, he said, if you really want to immerse yourself in the culture, don't go to the major cities, go to places like this. And so just from watching the episodes and seeing how some of these people live with, you know, no electricity, and they just they just carry on in the traditional ways that they have for hundreds of years, it's really interesting to watch the differences in culture, the way that they're they just seem kind of amazed by these people that are coming in with weird clothes and in cars and, you know, stuff like that, because it's not their culture. And some of them have Jeeps and things like that, too. But there's some that just seem even even further removed than than just having like an old Jeep to run around with. It's just such an interesting thing. And I, I definitely encourage you to watch that or explore that if that's something that interests you. But for me, I was just kind of sitting there going, you know, what would it be like if I went to a place like this? How would I... Um, communicate because they don't all speak English. A lot of it is just, you know, recognition of, of hand gestures or, um, you know, kind of an understanding of a, a point or nod or something. Uh, if, if they have an activity that's established, 
then it's pretty obvious when somebody comes to town, they point at the activity and, and then, you know, they don't need to speak to make it work. But certainly there would be, I would think some, just some huge barriers in, in learning to really connect with these people and understand their lives or, or how they live. And so this song is really just kind of about being in that position, you know, being in a position of being near people that live this way and how I would feel or how I might feel with the uh, in, intent of wanting to communicate and be friendly and um, respectful and, and greet these people properly and being afraid that any single thing I did would be the wrong gesture. And, and, and then they would want to, you know, not, they would not be happy with me. Let's put it that way. So that's, uh, that's what this song was all about. And, uh, there's a little surprise at the end of the song. If you, uh, if you are so inclined to listen to it that I, I quite enjoy. And I think it really kind of fits well. It's, uh, it's getting to the end of the album. We have one more song to go. And I thought about actually putting this at, at, as the last album because I think it would have made a good ending song, especially with the particular ending of the song. But uh, I actually think that the the last song that I chose worked even better. And um, I was very happy to work on this song. And um, it's it's one that that definitely pleases me. It's a little bit slower. It's a little bit more cautious. It's a little more uh, introspective, I think. But uh, one I'm definitely happy with. And now we've reached the final song on the album, which was the 11th that I composed, and it is called In Cosmic Flight. It returns us to the idea of the the coldness of space, and I imagine just kind of, you know, being just, just mesmerized looking out the window, looking at, you know, whatever planets or galaxies you can see in the vastness of it and, and the coldness of it. And maybe there's some space junk that floats by or some debris or rocks or 
you know, who knows what, what's out there. And the song really just kind of hinges on that. And just in, in my mind, in the mind of an astronaut, just being so taken in that you don't want to move from the window. And I mean, hopefully there's somebody else steering the ship, but you're just, you're just so entranced, so mesmerized that you, you're just, you can't move yourself away from it because everything that you're staring at, even if you've been staring at it for 10 minutes is just so unbelievable. And so just, just a vast and huge and endless and something that you couldn't have ever imagined you would see and can't even believe that you're seeing it now. And so it's just kind of, you know, as the ship, uh, ship drifts out of view, that astronaut is still there at the window, just taking it all in as the song fades away. So that, uh, that's, that was my thought behind this one. And, um, another one that I, I, I really love an interesting note on this one. Um, the, uh, the baseline that you heard at the end of the clip that I played um, in that section of the song, there's no bass on this at all. Actually, that is actually a drum. Uh, and um, I just, I was playing around with some of the drum sounds the, the, from the, the new programs. And I found that one and I'm like, oh, I really, really like this. This just has such a, a I don't know what, what the word is. It's something that, that just kind of just makes you ponder, you know, uh, I thought that it had that quality to it. And so I worked that into that section of the song because it's kind of like as he's approaching the window, like he's he's getting close to it. He sees that there's something at the window from the time the song starts. And he's like, oh, maybe I should go check it out. Well, I've got to do this other stuff. Well, you know, what's, what's it going to hurt to just take a quick peek? And uh, as he gets kind of just, you know, suckered himself into being locked at that window, that's where that uh, that section comes in. And I had a lot of fun playing that because it just had the the drum has these rich tones to it. And when I listened back uh, a year or so later, I'm like, I don't remember putting a bass guitar in there. Oh, it's not. It's it's a drum. That's right. And uh, I thought that that sound played very well together. So um, so I used it. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is entranced. And I hope that you've enjoyed the journey. I hope you're excited about the new project that I'll be coming out with. I certainly am. Uh, remember to mark your calendars for October 3rd. That's uh, that's going to be the day it launches. And um, we'll see how it goes. But uh, yeah, six-year commitment on that coming. And I will continue to keep up with this show as well as work on the new album and the novel and various other things that I have planned. Uh, you know, I, I pretty much believe that life is just too short. And the most important thing that I can do is to provide as much quality content. And I'll leave the quality part to your discretion. If you're still listening, obviously you think that there was some quality here. At least I hope you do. But uh, that's what it's all about for me. And I'm really excited to share the music of one of my favorite bands and dig into it and find out what it was all about and, and you know, maybe hear from people on how it affects them and, and their stories of how they stumbled upon it and that sort of thing. So it's going to be interesting, but, but thank you guys very much for coming along the journey with me of another episode, one of my albums for a change instead of reviewing someone else's. Got some great, great guests lined up for you here very soon. And uh, interviews are being scheduled, which I'm very excited about. A couple of releases are, are kind of edging their way out into the world. Now, I think we we all kind of realize that the touring isn't going to start for a bit. So uh, the bands are kind of going, okay, well, let's um, let's uh, let's get it out there then. 
you know, let's give people something to enjoy. If we can't entertain them live, let's at least get them, uh, you know, give them something to enjoy while we're all waiting for, for all of this to end and for the world to go back to whatever it's, well, not go back to, cause I don't think it's going to be the same. So for the world to go to whatever it's going to go to, uh, while we're able to be out in it and enjoying it. So, uh, please guys, uh, if you have a moment, uh, give me a rating on Apple's, uh, po- Apple podcasts, iTunes, Podbean, Google play, uh, Spotify, wherever it is that you listen to the show, please uh, also, uh, you know, if you feel so inclined to leave a review, share with your friends, anything to, uh, to help move the show forward. I appreciate you guys listening and I hope that you've enjoyed this episode. We'll see you next week for well, another episode. Cheers.